you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I'm so thankful for our choir and for Janelle and for Susan. Uh, This group of people, every week I get to just show up and be. I'm not in charge of anything. I just have to go and do what I am told. Um, But it is, is, uh, they're an incredible group of singers and Christians. And uh, every week uh, they take multiple times out of their schedule to come and to rehearse and uh, and to offer this gift in worship. I still have my baggage about singing from seventh grade youth choir. It's, it's getting better. There are days I feel confident, uh, and inevitably the days I feel the most confident are the weeks that we sing a song that uh, I've been on vacation for. Uh, today's song, uh, there, there are these moments where I did not feel confident. In the tenor section, Tom and Darren uh, just exude an ease about singing that I would long for. Uh, they go for it, and they never telegraph. Even if I, they might inside be just as messed up as I am, but I don't know it. They appear with this great ease. Uh, in there, there's an, a section I have never gotten right. We have sang this song like 20 times, and I have never gotten it right. And I look down in frustration. I'm trying not to let you know how badly I've just messed up this part. And I look up over here, and my daughter is directing the choir from the front row. Um, and it was a, uh, it was a, mu- a moment for me of uh, the beauty of this whole congregation and the grace that abounds uh, from our little kids who uh, maybe didn't want to come into worship this morning because they're kindergartners and they still want to be in the nursery, uh, to those of us who uh, maybe feel like schedule was a little hard to get together and uh, pull things uh, since we could be here, to those who, where it, it just hurts to get out of bed. And yet somehow through the Holy Spirit, God has knit us together as a community of love and forgiveness. This is part of our baptismal vows that, um, that has come to drive me over the years. Because uh, there are times that it's easy to love and there are times that it's hard to forgive. Uh, I don't want, wish we didn't have to say amen, but that's the truth. Being part of the church can be hard at times. Um, we're in these epistles Uh, this whole season after Pentecost. And we just finished Romans, which is one of Paul's uh, letters to the church in Rome, dealing with the way it's hard to be a community of love and forgiveness there. Um, And now we turn to the letter to the Philippians, which is a new letter about how it's hard to be a community of love and forgiveness in Philippi. Uh, We are significantly earlier in Paul's ministry. Romans is fairly well towards the end, and it's kind of the like capstone project of Paul's theological vision for the church. Uh, but Philippians is much earlier. He's, he's in prison, but Paul spends most of his ministry in prison, quite frankly. This is an earlier prison experience, uh, probably somewhere around A.D. 49. So we are 15 years post-crucifixion and resurrection. And I want you to imagine about 15 years ago, for our youth, this might be a harder experience. You, you might be imagining diapers. Uh, uh, for some of our uh, younger adults 15 years ago might be like, oh, well, those were the glory days. Things were easier. 
then. As we get a little older, some of you might go, well, my knee didn't hurt back then. Um, but at each of those, I bet if you think back 15 years, you can remember some things vividly and others maybe a little more blurry, right? 15 years ago for me was right before seminary, right before moving to Kentucky. And uh, I can't remember uh, hardly a thing about the day-to-day conversations that happened when I worked for the university. I can't remember uh, every single lesson we taught at youth Sunday school. I can remember uh, the smell of uh, our uh, family life center when we broke our 30-hour famine. I can remember the stink of the youth bus coming back from a ski trip. It's true. It's, It's bad. I can remember standing in the parking lot of Jarvis Memorial United Methodist sobbing and those tears feeling like flames on my cheek when my mentor told me he was leaving. While I don't have every single uh, bit of those moments, it it is still fresh enough to be there, right? I can call back to it. And for Paul and uh, many of these Christians at this time, they can call back to the time of Jesus. And Paul, of course, has some baggage about calling back to the time of Jesus, right? He is uh, firmly on the Christian side of where he is now, and he was not there at the time of Jesus Uh, For many of these who were probably in this church in Philippi, uh, they are either uh, directly connected to Jesus or only one group away. They're one invitation away from the Jesus story. This is not something back there. They know somebody who remembers the iron smell of blood back in Jerusalem. They know somebody uh, who heard the women come and say, the tomb is empty and he is risen. They... uh, They have that memory, and it is still hard to be a community of love and forgiveness. Paul, from prison, is writing to them, uh, trying to lay the groundwork for how the church at Philippi can be its best self. It's not an Oprah episode. It is how to be the best body of Christ it can be in Philippi, and he's coming with one prayer for them. Uh, We start further down in chapter 1, but Paul often gives us his whole point early in his letters, and For this, he says that my prayer is that your love might become even more and more and more rich with knowledge and insight. This is his prayer, that your love will grow, that as you uh, come to know and have insight into the workings of God, you might love each other so that you'll be able to decide what really matters and so that you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ and then that you'll bear the fruit of righteousness. This is Paul's prayer for the church, right? This is his thesis statement for the letter to Philippi, this letter to this church that he and Silas started early in ministry, this church that uh, has the story of women uh, setting up shop and starting these churches in their homes, the story of uh, things that had been good. This is his hope for them that, that, okay, you've been doing this a while. Might your knowledge and insight grow as you grow in love so that you might love one another and that you might be blameless before Jesus so that you might know what to make the, uh, the big deal, right? Harley Clemens always said, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, and this is Paul's invitation to them to keep the main thing the main thing. But Paul is uh, not afraid 
uh, of his suffering or of saying, hey, as your pastor, let me tell you how I am suffering for Jesus. Uh, and I want you to look like me. And so the part the lectionary skips is this long uh, kind of explication from Paul about why his imprisonment is a good thing. Uh, Paul, uh, according to the book of Acts, should not be in prison. He uh, has done nothing that should earn him the status, but he gets lost in the court system. This is, really, this is like a Dateline episode. Uh, somebody loses track of who's responsible for Paul's imprisonment, and then eventually the Jewish authorities are like, not our responsibility, and the Roman authorities are like, but this is y'all's thing. And so he really just kind of gets stuck there, and then they're like, okay, we'll just, we'll just let him go. And Paul goes, no, you won't. No, you've done all this. I'm getting my day in court. It's a little absurd. Paul could have gotten out, but he, he, he chooses to stay there and stand firm in these convictions. And now he is sitting in this prison writing to the church in Philippi and says, my suffering is worth it if you grow in love. My suffering is worth it if you love better. And then he goes on to this thing that my father regularly did, which as a little kid I found kind of disturbing, which was, I'd rather die. I know where I'm going. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I will be in the arms of Jesus the moment of my death. Hot dog, let's do this. I am ready to die. But I know that will harm you. I need to suffer well and bear witness to what it means to be in the midst of the world right now. Thank you, God, for this suffering. Paul is clearly more sanctified than me at this point, right? And I expect for many of us, uh, Paul almost feels unattainable here, right? Thank you, Jesus, that my life is harder so that I might bear witness to your goodness. Tom, is that on your daily prayer list? Mm. Mac, was that one that you prayed over your church all these years? Jesus, give us more difficulty. That's not in our ALT meetings. And yet it's Paul's thanksgiving. I suffer so that we might grow in love. And then he goes on in our passage today and says, really, uh, we suffer together so that we might grow in love and we might grow in unity. He now begins to unpack what the main thing is that knowledge and insight should lead to, and it should lead to unity. This is a church who's facing persecution from the outside and once again facing people who would like them to uh, practice Jewish uh, uh, ritual practices. And he's saying, uh, the main thing here is to grow in love and unity. These practices are not the things that are the main thing. The main thing is to grow in love and unity while we suffer. We not only are detached from the Jesus story, we are detached from suffering, right? If you talk to Christians in China, there is no such thing as a nominal Christian in China. There is nobody who's like, yep, believe in Jesus, uh, good, good to go. Because you will die or lose your job or lose your family or be ostracized or kicked out of your house or moved out of town if you declare that you love Jesus Christ. There are parts of uh, India and Pakistan where it is only becoming uh, barely acceptable in these areas to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
We are so far from that taste that we can't imagine uh, saying uh, it is worth it to die for the sake of the gospel. And yet this is what Paul is having to tell them, uh, to stand firm in the face of the empire and to stand firm in the face of inside uh, arguments. Grow in love and knowledge and insight that you might love and live in unity. And even though we're uh, separated from the persecution, and even though we're separated from uh, the question of uh, Torah obedience, uh, the desire from Paul for the church at Philippi uh, can be our desire and should be. We can't, uh, I don't think the right prayer is, God, please give us persecution. Please invite the president to start killing us. I don't think that's prayer. I think the thing that we are supposed to, through the Holy Spirit, take away from this is, God, give us insight and knowledge to grow in love, that we might be unified even as we struggle in differences, even as uh, we have different visions of political affiliation, as we have different visions of uh, social stratification, as we have different visions of even what the church should be doing with her programming budget, as we have different ideas of what the best mission partner is, as we have different ideas about whether intention or chiclets or prepackaged are the best way. May we grow and love in unity and care for one another. I'm not seeking out persecution, but I'm seeking out a community that loves and is in unity, and it drives me day after day. I tend to preach a sermon and put it aside. Um, I can't stand to go back and watch videos of my own preaching. I can't stand to listen to the podcast but uh, since uh, the Holy Spirit gave me this word that we are called to be in unity, not uniformity, it has driven my understanding of who we are to be. And Paul is inviting them into unity, not uniformity. In the face of uh, varying responses to persecution, and in the face of questions of how you live together holily, that is not a word, Janelle, is it? How do you turn holy into an adverb? I don't know. You got me, right? How you live in holiness. We'll, we'll, we'll change the grammatical structure of that sentence. Uh, that has driven me, and I pray that it drives you. I'm sure if we uh, went back and every one of you clicked on the QR, took a picture of the QR code in the bulletin, and set up a meeting for me, and we sat down and I said, tell me about your uh, longing for the programs of the church. I'd have as many different visions as we had people who showed up. But my hope and prayer is that at the center of all of them is this longing that Jesus Christ would be glorified in our worship and extolled in our activity in the world. Amen? May we grow in knowledge and insight that we might grow in love and unity. Let's pray. Lord, may your words through Paul to the church at Philippi, to the center of Macedonia, be a word to the church in the center of the 40509. May your heart for unity be the heartbeat that drives us. May knowledge and insight be something that overflows, uh, that we don't run from uh, wrestling with understanding. Lord, do a mighty work in the midst of us that we might be truly a community of love and forgiveness. That we might take seriously those vows to one another and that uh, your grace uh, might abound. Lord, pour your grace out upon us that we might be made holy, that uh, as we go forth from this place, the world might see your face in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.